I'd like you to turn with me one more time to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, and we're going to wrap up, as I've said, these 10 commandments. And we'll read through each of these 10 one more uh, time as we discuss the 10th commandment. Would you stand with me as we receive this? Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. Well, this morning, as we conclude these Ten Commandments, I've tried to express to you that these are words that we are to live by. And I hope on our journey that you have discovered that God's commands aren't given arbitrarily to hem us in and keep us from having fun and enjoying life. No, not at all. In fact, that's far very far from it. In fact, they are given to us as a pathway to finding the most fulfilling life of all. God wants us to follow these commandments because he wants to show us what true life looks like. But this morning, as we come to this final commandment, you shall not covet, I want you to think about this with me because it's rather interesting. It's interesting to me that when we read this commandment, we realize it deals with the intangible. In fact, if you think about it, the first and the last commandment sort of serve as a bookend that they deal with what others cannot see about us. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Nobody knows if I am truly following that command. Others can tell if I bowed down to an idol or am working on the Sabbath, but no one really knows if I put God first. Likewise, when it comes to this commandment, you shall not covet. 
You can prove if I've stolen something. You can prove if I've committed adultery with someone. But no one knows what is happening in my heart. And thus we find that these commandments, all of them in fact, are not as much about activity, although they are about our actions, but they are rather about our hearts, our attitudes. There are things that others don't know, but God knows, and I know, and God wants our hearts this morning. You shall not covet. Well, what does that mean? To covet is to desire inordinately without regard for the rights of others. It's an intense longing for something someone else has, and you'd rather them not have it if it means you can't have it too. Coveting is wanting something at someone else's expense. In fact, the English word to covet means, uh, from the, comes from the Greek word that means grasping for more. Now, I, I want to say this off the bat. Coveting is different from desire. Buddhism teaches that perfect peace comes from destroying our desires. It teaches that our desire... Oh, I'm going to... This, turn this over to this. Okay, okay, is that better? Keeps you awake, right? That way you know what's going on. It teaches that desire is the cause of all suffering. Buddhism teaches that if you can get rid of desire, you're not gonna suffer anymore. But I want you to know that the Bible takes a very different position. Desire itself is not seen as evil. In fact, in Psalm 37, 4, it says that God wants to give us the desires of our hearts. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So when we rightly acknowledge him, the truth is he's going to shape our desires. He will impact our desires. But desire itself can be a good thing because it motivates us. If I desire to know more, I study and learn to gain knowledge. If I desire to eat, I go to work. If I desire to lose weight, I exercise. Desire is not the problem. It's not wrong to, to want a nice home, a good meal, a loving spouse. But the desire to be, uh, but desire has to be for the right things. And we have to be careful there because desire can morph into something else, something destructive, something against my neighbor. One guy asked, well, how can I ever get out of debt when my neighbors keep buying things that I can't afford? <laughs> and that's kind of the problem here. We want what belongs to my neighbor. And it messes up my relationship with my neighbor. So in James 4, we read this, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
In Exodus 20, we hear that word neighbor repeated often. Now, listen, it is not wrong to want a spouse or an ox or a donkey. It's not wrong to want a car or a computer or a ticket to the Ohio State-Michigan game. It's how you are willing to risk your relationship with your neighbor to get it. That's the problem. And by the way, not to make you covet, I don't want you to covet this morning, but next weekend, my son Caleb is taking me and his brother to the Ohio State-Michigan game in Ann Arbor. Uh, never been to that game before, so this is going to kind of a, be a, a bucket list item. I've always thought, you know, it'd be nice to go, always kind of desired it, never coveted it, okay? But uh, I'm going to get to check that out. off. Uh, anyone else going? Oh, one, one back there. Okay, too bad for the rest of you, okay? You just have to watch it on TV. Pray for me that I make it back in one piece, okay? It's going to be a good game. Covetousness however, is not about what we have or what we don't have. It is about what's in our hearts. The story is told about a demon who comes to Satan. The demon is distraught because he has not been able to lure a godly monk into temptation and sin. Satan says, you know, you're, you're trying too hard. Send him a message that his brother has just been made the Bishop of Antioch. And then watch him. Satan just kind of loves to dangle the success of others in front of us in order to entice us into this sin. And yet Paul said, love does not envy. Paul also said, we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Most of us have discovered it's often easier to weep with those who weep than to rejoice with them. One woman who had difficulty losing weight confessed her envy and she finally prayed, Lord, if I can't lose weight, at least make my friends look fat. <laughs> Catherine Jensen, had this outlook on life. She said, life is like being on a dog team. Unless you're the lead dog, all the scenery looks about the same. <laughs> and sometimes we feel that way. Leonard Bernstein, the famous symphony conductor, was asked, what instrument is the most difficult to play? And his answer, second fiddle. You know what, there's always gonna be someone who is more talented, better looking, more gifted, more successful, more money, whatever it is. If we can't be happy without being the first chair or the lead dog on the team, then envy is going to have its way with us and we will be miserable. Another problem with coveting, it seems to me, is that coveting always looks for a shortcut. That's why we do it. We want the easy way. We want what we want instantly. So while we see the good things our neighbor might have, ranging all the way from success in work to a happy marriage, 
We don't often take into account the length of that journey or the price they paid or the work it took to attain those things. We want to get our fortune with a lottery ticket or solve our marriage problems with a weekend seminar or get peace with a packet of pills. And the sad part of all this is when we focus on what others have, we fail to see what we have. We're blind to what is already ours. Some people can't enjoy their homes because they have their eyes on what home their neighbor is living in. Sometimes you can't appreciate the vacation you took to the lake because someone you know took a vacation to the ocean. Coveting robs us of the joy of what we already have. And so this week, we're celebrating Thanksgiving. You know, it would be so easy to sit and eat turkey and stuffing and watch some football, but not take to heart this opportunity we have to delight in and give God thanks for what he has given us. Some of you may remember that old hymn, Count Your Blessings. The third stanza. When you look at others with their lands and gold, think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy, your reward in heaven or your home on high. Sing the chorus with me. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. You know, when you do that, things change. Your whole attitude becomes different. Let's, this morning, listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Again, Christianity doesn't despise the things of this world. It considers them as God's gifts intended for our benefit and pleasure. But it warns us that we should keep them in their place. And that's second place. So isn't it interesting that as we look at this 10th commandment, we can't help but come around to the first one all over again. That when we covet, we think of some object or person or position that's going to bring us happiness. That's far too great a burden to put on a thing or a person. Only God can do that. But when God is placed first in our lives, we can accept money and clothing and houses and honors and people for what they are. They are blessings. But the greatest blessing is the giver himself, not any of his gifts. You shall have no other gods before me. And that's faith. 
You see, when my faith is right, I have a deep abiding confidence that whatever is best for me will come my way in proper time. If something is worth having and if I'm willing to apply myself to its proper pursuit, God will help me achieve it. And if not, if God does not bring it, I can rest peacefully in the knowledge that I'm just better off without it. And I can discover then, when I put God first, I can be content in everything. It was the Apostle Paul. He writes from a prison cell with a guard chained to him these words, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, Paul has discovered the gift. Jesus is with me. What more? could I ask for? You know, as we come to this communion table then, we remember to give thanks to God. You know, he genuinely loves you. He genuinely wants to be your friend. He genuinely doesn't just want to be a part of your life. He wants to be first in your life. And as we look at these commandments and my purpose for us studying them together was not to put you on a guilt trip, not to go through a list and tell you how bad you are, but instead to remind you that none of us measure up. James 2.10 says this, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. It's like a window. You throw one rock through a window, it's broken. You can throw more, 10 rocks if you want, but it's still broken. All it takes is one rock. We can't get to heaven on how, based on how good we are. The only way any one of us in this room can get to heaven is based on how good Jesus was. Amen. And the good news is, Jesus perfectly fulfilled this law. You didn't. I hope I've proven that to you. I didn't either. But Jesus did. And the gospel is this. He died in my place for my sin. He died in your place for your sin so that we could live forever. The penalty of sin has been paid. That's the gospel, the good news. Do you know how blessed you are this morning that you've even had the opportunity to hear that news? Never mind, receive it. And if you have received it, you've become a part of God's family and you belong to him. And he invites you to the Thanksgiving table. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this holy moment of communion, I pray, O oh Holy Spirit, that you would guide our hearts, 
to confess our sin and to acknowledge the amazing grace you've given us. That despite our sin, you invite us into your family. And Lord, when we put our trust in you, we are a part of that family forever. And this communion moment is a symbol of that fellowship we will enjoy forever. One day, we will be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But for now, we're content with this bread and this wine to be reminded of your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, and that we are all a part of your family. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing this song of thanksgiving. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice you have led me through the fire in darkest night you are close like no other i've known you as a father i've known you as a friend i have lived in the goodness of god all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that i am able i will sing of the goodness of god Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, surrender now, I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been faithful 
so, so good with every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God with all you have all my life you have been faithful all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able I will see of the goodness of Can you sing that with a genuine spirit this morning? I hope so. I hope you know that goodness. And that goodness begins and ends with Jesus Christ. Why don't you be seated for a moment here. If you didn't receive a communion cup, just raise your hand right now and we'll have an usher. We've got a few over here. Pastor Rich is going to help us uh, get you. Keep your hand up until we are able to accommodate you. And and Rich over here as well. Right here. Okay. Very good. We want everybody to be like missing turkey at at uh, east at. Easter, Thanksgiving. We we don't want to do that. <laughs> Amen. We've got some in the back as well, Rich. The word Eucharist actually means Thanksgiving. And so it is appropriate during the season, it seems to me, that we take communion together and we give God thanks for all that he has done through Christ. I will remind you that on the night that Jesus was to be arrested and crucified the next day, he chose to share in the Passover meal with his disciples. And the Bible says that as the meal began, he took some bread and he gave thanks to the Heavenly Father. And then he broke it And he said, take and eat, for this is my body, which was broken for you. Together, would you just open that cup and let us receive that element, the body of Christ. When the supper had concluded, the Lord took a cup and he gave thanks. And he said to his disciples, drink from this all of you, for this is my blood shed for the remission of your sins. And as often as you drink of it, do this in remembrance 
of me. Will you take your cup and drink? Our Father, as we remember the glorious work of what Jesus did on the cross, we, your people, are lost in amazement and wonder as we think about how good you have been to us. Not because we deserved it, but because your love cannot be contained. Lord, my prayer is this, that every person in this room would examine themselves through your spirit and ask where they are with you right now. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who walk faithfully with you, who put you first, that we would have the capacity through the power of your Holy Spirit to, to love you with our whole hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We can't do this without you. But this communion reminds us that you want to be within us. And Lord, I just pray that we would surrender ourselves completely to you. And during this season, you would use us to the utmost, that others would see you in us as we interact with friends, family, workers, students. May they know something different about us because of our faith our walk with you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much. Thank you for the gift of the law that reminds us of our need for your grace. We pray these things through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for being a part of our celebration today. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.